Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Well, today I'm here with my friend Robert, who he's going to have to remind me how long we've known each other, at least from a cruise we took years and years ago, but you knew me before then. Um, so it's got to be, what, 10, 15 years at least? Uh, let's see. We met in May of 2005 when you were at uh, Rochester. Yeah, okay. Well... And we've known each other since then, and you have moved around a little bit, but you're now in Montana. I'm now in Missoula, Montana. Yeah, never, never been, so I'll have to come. I was going to go visit Robert um, uh, several months ago, last summer, but he got ill whenever I got over to Spokane, and so we decided I wasn't going to make that drive over, and they weren't going to come to us. That said, Robert has a fascinating story. He's a fascinating individual, uh, and... Part of his story that I now know comes from the hand of your mother. And i got to first of all say, I've never read a document like it. And I think everybody should have one. I mean, what a blessing. His mother wrote about the marriage and about the family and then about the arrival of this baby and how much they loved this baby. I mean, you were very much, and she puts it that way, you were a wanted child. And they never failed to try to find ways to help you succeed once they realize that, um, that you were blind. Born prematurely, uh, it seems from her writings as if originally you had some sight, but that the uh, disease and the premature birth and, and the way that people treated, you know, the medical treatment of the day uh, took your sight. Uh, now you've had to go through your life blind of course you you don't know any other there are some things she wrote that just got to me one peppy that a dog worked hard to teach you to crawl and get you to know your world do you remember any of that no not at all but i i love dogs anyway you know and, and that just tickled me it was just and then a time when she realized that you, you loved noises and you loved to feel and you loved cause and effect. So you broke a glass and now she had a problem because you loved that. <laughs> you thought that was hilarious, but she didn't want you to go hunting for it and cutting yourself. So she took old crockery and glass and you guys went out and broke it on purpose so that she could show you the pieces that were safe to hold and you would understand what breaking meant. Do you, uh, do you recall that? Or no, do, yeah. I, I really don't. Uh, I don't really have early childhood memories. Uh, oddly, I remember my grandmother had, and I've no idea, it might have been an RCA. It was a combination TV radio phonograph. Oh, yeah. And it, it, the phonograph <laughs> was in the bottom of the TV cabinet, 
and you opened the little door and you pulled it out like a drawer. And so you could play records on this thing. It had a little, probably a four or six inch speaker on it, maybe two of them. <laughs> and there was a little selector. So you could select the record player, you could select AM radio, you could select FM radio, or you could select TV. And it was um, mostly vertical. It wasn't the big, long console type of oh. system. And uh, I've never seen one like it. I remembered that when I went back to visit my grandmother. Uh, probably my, some of my earlier memories are of being in Oklahoma and my father, they were talking about Oregon and I was trying to help daddy build onto a trailer. He had mm -hmm. bought a yeah. trailer that had apparently been a truck of some kind pickup truck or some sort of truck and he built up the sides and he built onto the front um, and I assume extended the tongue some way so that we had a trailer to put our stuff in and I remember kind of he had made these louvers and I remember playing with the little wooden louver slats so the idea is we were going to be in that trailer and we were going to sleep in it. That didn't work out because we had filled it full of stuff and uh, <laughs> the folks took turns in the car and I slept in the back seat. Uh, <clears throat> and, of course, not fastened down. They didn't fasten kids they down in the 50s. Yeah, they, they did not. No. And uh, so uh, I, I do remember that playing with the trailer. I don't remember the move to Oregon really. Uh, I vaguely remember meeting an aunt who lived in Milton Freewater, but I don't, and I remember Silverton. I remember the little apartment we lived in and we had to share, we shared a refrigerator with a lady upstairs because mom, the folks couldn't afford a refrigerator. Mm -hmm. uh, they eventually got one, but, uh, and they eventually got a washer and dryer. <coughs> and, um. So I remember, I remember Silverton. I remember uh, growing up in Silverton, and we got this house, and I was helping Dad knock down walls in this house because it was kind of a crazy, it was kind of a crazy built house inside. Yeah, Grandma maybe. would call up and say, "What you doing, Robert?" And I said, "I'm helping Daddy tear down a wall." <laughs> Which gives great comfort to grandmothers everywhere. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Grandma that, that, that. came out to see <laughs> if there were any walls left in the house, and we, we seriously uh, removed a lot of walls from that house. Well, your, your mother's writing, she was on your side, and your dad was too, and, and I'm always wanting you to experience, and there was a quote I pulled. She write, wrote, I've often wondered how many times parents have spanked their children for being curious merely because their curiosity was inconveniencing the parents. I thought, wow, what a statement that she, she had more patience and she was asking others to have more patience with their children. Let them see and touch and learn. Well, if you don't have a lot of the memories, you do have that document. So I know some things that you went through that I went through on a much smaller basis. I had had an awful lot of migraines, face pain and the like, only to have people come tell me the problem was I wasn't going to the right church and didn't have enough faith. And I, I read that there were people that came up to your mother and said that if you had enough faith, they'd get your sight back. 
I mean, I don't know of another way to disappoint and hurt anybody than to say, well, you're suffering, and the problem is you don't have enough faith. I'm, it just, um, then another one. But this one's more fun. And I don't know if you remember it or not, but I hope you do. That you, you remembered songs, and they loved it. You remember, except that evidently one time you stood up in the pew at your church and sang the, ha the Ham's Beer commercial. Yes. From the land of sparkling waters? Is that? Sky blue waters. Sky blue waters, right. I actually went and looked that up on YouTube, and I, I, would, I really would have loved to have been there that day. <laughs> now, this was in your Methodist church, right? Yes, in uh, Stillwater, Oklahoma, big Methodist church uh, that was broadcasting the service over the radio, no less. Wow. Well, and, and your family is pioneer in radio. I saw that, too. Um, well, to me, 1 Corinthians says, if any of you has a song, and you had one, I thought that was the coolest thing ever. Um, now, moving, moving here, let's see. Your mother fought very, very hard to improve the schooling for blind children. Uh, I do know a bit about that in other blind schools. The great Appalachian flat-picking genius, Doc Watson, was blind. Uh, not born blind, but blind due to accident and disease. Sent to a blind school, and he was terrified, harassed. He, in fact, he eventually walked home through the hills blind to get, get away from the school. And when she wrote some of the things about the blind schools until they got them fixed uh, or better, um, you had a rough road. And when you went to school, I know you were bullied. We don't have to talk about it. But what I do really want to kick in here is that you've been a contributor and a maker all through this. Uh, I was always impressed. I didn't know that the Braille Bible you were gifted, 18 volumes and four feet of shelf space. Wow. And yeah. if, it, if you have a Bible with an apocrypha, it's six feet long. <laughs> that, is, that is my, <clears throat> basically my arm span here. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that's why they, they dropped the apocrypha, do you think? <clears throat> uh, <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> um, and then, you've got something to show me, but I want, I want to preface, preface it. Uh, you, your dad helped you make relief maps. Yes. So that you could understand the topography of Oregon. Is that? that Oregon, the, what we're called, the Oregon Trail I see. states, basically, from Missouri to um, Oregon. It's people, it was extravagant the way... And beautiful, and beautiful in, in the best sense of the term, the way his mom and dad kept finding creative ways, because they didn't have money to make things to help their son, who's brilliant, learn about the world into which he was born. And it took over 300 hours to make these relief maps. Yeah, it was quite a process. But, <clears throat> but it taught you how to show things to blind people, let them see with their hands. Um, just real quick, you worked for Tektronics for over 20 years, wasn't 23 it? years. 23 actually. years. I know them for oscilloscopes and multimeters and signal generators. Is that? Yes, right? okay. uh, that's what they made. They also made uh, what they had a company called the Grass Valley Group, and that made... Uh, video test equipment 
So every TV station in the United States had to have a Tektronics monitor so they could look at their signals on the old CRT-type monitors. Yeah. If you removed the border from around the, the TV screen, you would see signals on the edge of the picture tube. And those engineers can look at those and figure out how the system is working. And so Tektronics made those things as well. Now, would that have anything to do with um, the page that they would sometimes put up as a test page as they <clears throat> shut down uh, broadcasting? Yeah, that would uh, probably. Okay. I, I remember seeing those. They had those in Britain as well. Uh, in Britain, they had this really creepy girl holding a teddy bear in the middle of it. In America, they didn't do that. Uh, but I remember those pages. And it allowed people to also adjust, hang with us, kids, the vertical and horizontal holds on their old TVs. Yes. Uh, all right. That's now. I want to get to what you brought some things to show. And I think the relief map is the thing I think of most of all when I see you. So... I'm going to let you take it from here, and I'll just ask questions <clears throat> when I, if I have them. All right. <laughs> um, I worked on a book called Touch the Sun. Uh, I produced Touch the Sun. It was authored by Noreen Grice, and uh, I worked on actually making it. And so here's a picture of the sun, and the, the caption... Uh, says texture on the sun and so the sun is around here and there's texture in the middle of it and uh, the uh, so there's a caption on the top that says the full sun and so there are pictures and this book has um, colored colorized tactile images and it's the first book to have thermoformed colorized tactile images and I will never make one like it again because the um, there were some technical issues that had to be dealt with but uh, there are some ways to make other books like that more modern but um, <clears throat> made that book and I've been very interested in rapid prototyping 3D printing. So here is a screw clamp and this, I'm turning a knob here counterclockwise and the clamp is opening up and I can turn it clockwise and the clamp will close. And the interesting thing about this is, is that there are 3D pr machines, 3D printers that just made this as one unit. And there was dissolvable material put in here so that they made the unit and then they kind of wash it out and all the dissolvable material comes out. And so now you have a gadget with moving parts. In fact, you can pop out a part out of the unit. Uh, so now was that made so that blind people could learn how these like a screw works? No, no. Okay. This is uh, <clears throat> the reason this thing was made was companies that are selling 3D printers, uh, some of the 3D printers are as big as a, uh, the freezers in a store. Uh, yes. You can't exactly 
put that in the back of your Volkswagen bug and, and haul it around. And so they uh, have one of those and they bring samples and put them out on a trade show. Uh, here's another one. Uh, this is just a sample to prove that you can make a knob that has a clicker in it. And it's, it's not assembled, it's just printed and made. And uh, so one of the things that I would someday like to have uh, put together is a library of stuff that kids can borrow, look at, and then return. And also I want to be able to make books with good tactile graphics for educational purposes. Uh, we have a real problem with blind kids or blind and low vision kids and they have a picture book or they get a print book and it's braille and when the picture is to be shown it'll say something like uh, a picture of map of the United States ah. and nothing there and so or some of them would say, picture, ask teacher to explain. And uh, so if you were, for those of you who are uh, of my age, some of you probably use the Alice and Jerry series or the Dick and Jane series. And so in the first book of Alice and Jerry in the first grade, you had a page and it had the word Alice on the bottom of it and you flip the page over, and then there was Jerry. And apparently there were pictures on those pages of what Alice and Jerry looked like, but the blind guy has no idea. Uh, and so that's a, that's a problem because the blind child is missing a great deal of the content of the story. Right. There, there's critical information. Uh, well, even information to keep your interest. Yeah, and like J.K. Rowling's, I'm not sure if the Harry Potter books uh, have very many pictures in them or not. I'm not familiar enough. I don't to think, know. no, I, they, they don't. There's illustration on the cover, but I think that's about it. Yeah, and so you have to, her books are neat because uh, there's all this descriptive. Yeah. Uh, illustrations, as with uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, Narnia series. Mm -hmm. It's all descriptive. It, well, yeah, and there are certain things you would have been, I, I'm just sitting here thinking, you would have been unable to really access the world of comic books and their heroes. Oh, yeah. Um, you would have been, uh, again, Maps Geography would have would have not been, it's, it is... Not, not as easily. I mean, you can, I uh, played... Uh, I was doing some research and I played a couple of the episodes, the first radio episodes of Superman. And of course it's on radio, so there's no pictures. And so they're describing, the narrator character is describing what is going on. So that, that actually works pretty good for, for <laughs> blind people. That, it would. We would call it watching the wireless whenever you'd be sitting around listening to a story on the radio. Uh, British people call them, or did back in the day, a wireless. And families would actually sit around and look at the wireless as the same way people do today to a TV. Uh, but the stories had to be in their head. But the difference was, when I heard the stories of Superman, 
I had visual references in my past that I could bring to it. Blind people have to organize information in a completely different way and then function in the society. And I want to circle back to something you were saying about pulling these things out and having a place where kids could examine them. Uh, I know that's hugely important to you. And we were talking about, before we started recording, about the word ark. And we use the same word for the thing that Noah built and filled with animals and the thing that God had Moses build and fill with a, you know, the tablets and the Aaron's bod that, that um, rod that budded. You talked about, you'd like to create a whole library. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, I, I would like to create a library of objects. Uh, now, maybe you wouldn't have a full-sized model of the ark because it's <laughs> two and a half cubits long, if I recall, and yeah. a, cubit, uh, a cubit, and I don't know if those were imperial cubits or 18-inch <laughs> long cubits. Uh, imperial cubits are, are quite a bit longer. But a large box, and you can't exactly have one of those around, but maybe you could have one a foot long and say, okay, here's a miniature model of what the ark, what we think the ark looked like. Actually, Exodus has a pretty good description of it. Um, yes, and, and you always talk about being built to scale. Uh, yes. And this, um, I'm intrigued by the library. I'm intrigued by 3D pictures as well. Um, your fingers reading Braille, and I understand that there are two main types of Braille um, in the States, uh, if I remember reading correctly. There was a third that's not used that often for most. But your fingers are how you see. Uh, you also take in through your ears and, of course, nose and like. But to watch, I've had blind friends before, and to watch them look at something with their hands was, was amazing. Um, the, your processing of information is different, but it's your intake. And so I think this is one of the big things you, you contribute is that you talk about these things and help people understand that we need to create these things for our blind children and our blind adults. Um, talk to me. You, uh, you've worked with the National Federation for the Blind, um, the VIEW International Foundation, and now, now you're consulting. Is that correct? That is, that is correct. Okay. I, I work with uh, two companies. One is called American Thermoform Corporation, and they make equipment that's used to make uh, relief copies. Somebody will make like an art collage, and they put it in this machine and put plastic on top and clamp a big frame down on it, and then there's a heater and you pull the heater on tracks over the top, and then it sits there, and pretty soon the motor comes on, draws a vacuum, and you shove the heater back, and you wait uh, 10 seconds, and you open the frame, and you pop off the sheet of plastic, which is the copy the blind person looks at. And then they make braille embossers, and uh, industrial-sized braille embossers, that can produce braille books and the smallest one does 300 characters a second which is 900 pages of braille an hour whoa 
And uh, yeah, it's a it's a fair sized little machine for thirty grand. About it ought to be. Uh, <laughs> the top of the line uses uh, two hundred kilogram or four hundred pound rolls of paper, and it's got um, it's capable of printing brailing on them and making braille magazines, and it'll staple and fold them up and. Uh, run them out, and that's in the $120,000 range. And uh, I think there's only one or two of those in the country. But American Thermoform sells that. Independence Science makes STEM content, science, technology, mm -hmm. engineering, and math accessible. And so we have a product um, called the Talking Lab Quest, and it's sort of like a multimeter and you connect probes to it and so you can do your lab exercises real lab because most blind people they go to a lab and oh okay sue you just record down what everybody did uh -huh. and so now with the talking lab quest and future products they can actually do the lab work and actually take measurements and and they'll be able to look at graphs and see uh, changes and so we specialize in adapting that sort of stuff and on occasion I have traveled around to a couple colleges and so we, we talk about what the person is taking and and figure out okay how are we going to adapt the physics class and it turns out that uh, we were at a place called Haverford College and we figured out a way that a kid could do physics and do electronics. And there's this thing called Elenco snap circuits. And they weren't really set up for this, but they have resistors and capacitors and other parts. And the guy could lay out his circuit and you know, prove that it worked. And then he could just take a picture of it for the professor. And we found a way that using some sensors, uh, they could set up diffraction gratings for optics. And in fact, when we got done using our sensor, the professor says, your sensor system is more accurate than the way we were, the sighted kids are doing it, which <laughs> I thought was kind of neat. That's a win, take a win. And uh, so I have, um, so we have done some of that and we, work with uh, people in college that are studying uh, various kinds of subjects and say, okay, here's how to make the lab accessible and, uh, and, that, and that sort of thing. So that's kind of the consulting work I do. Oh, that's... I am active in the National Federation of the Blind. But you still are, okay. Oh, oh yes, oh yes. I'm the affiliate secretary for the in Montana, I'm a newsline coordinator, so if somebody needs to have their newspapers read to them, uh, I can set them up with an account, and uh, the, you can dial upon the telephone, and it'll sit there and read the newspapers. Wow. Well, I, I have a friend who was blinded in the Vietnam War uh, when his helicopter was shot down, and I, I learned so much from Dr. John Todd at Rochester University. I believe he's retired now, but um, I can remember he, I, he talked about his head being in bandages for years because uh, he lost a lot of his face as well when that happened. But he went to law school 
and I said, wait, wait a minute. You, you, they, they didn't even have cassette tapes at that stage. How did you process the information? And you've never met him, but his calm, quiet voice was always, always the same. He says, well, Patrick, you just listen. And of course, I felt two inches high there, but he graduated law school. He went to work for um, the White House for a while. Now he teaches or he, he taught until he retired. But I learned so much from him. He would call me and we'd go out to lunch. Um, and he would say, um, you drive this time. And I would say, oh, okay, good idea. But he would always call ahead and he'd tell me what was on the menu and where to sit because light would actually bother the little bit of sight that was there. And I, I, he taught me how much extra planning has to go into your day when you're blind. But it was to him just normal now. Well, to you, this has been normal, but I look upon you as a very remarkable individual. Um, I, I want you to talk about what you want to talk about. But one of the questions I do have for you is about your faith. And how have you grown it and kept it? Because I know you've had reversals in your life, uh, bad times in your life. So open-ended question, if, if you want to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, well, my parents <clears throat> were active in the United Method in the Methodist Church, which became the United right. Methodist Church. And so we were always kind of active in church. I was in church choirs. I rang handbells. Uh, and, of course, we moved. My mother directed choirs, and so we occasionally moved from church to church. So I was kind of brought up in the church. Mm -hmm. um, and some people kind of accepted the fact I was blind and didn't pay much mind. Uh, of course, always going into a new church, they're always worried about the blind man, is he going to fall down the stairs or right. something? Uh, but they, most people kind of figured out that, you know, I could get around where I needed to get. Um, certainly, you know, I did not have a falling away from the faith. I kind of stayed active and stayed involved with the church. Um, I did have, uh, I did commit my life to Christ when I was 12. I rededicated my life to Christ uh, right after I got out of high school. I was about 18, and I rededicated my life to Christ. And... Uh, so I was fairly active in the church. Um, there had been a couple of times when people had said, well, you know, we, we could uh, try to pray for you. And one time I, I used to hire readers. Before I married Lori, I would hire people to read my mail and take me shopping. Because, you know, trying to go through a, shop, a store is just, Incredible. Sure. Yes. Now, some people do, and they have to ask questions like, you know, where is whatever it is they're looking at? But uh, uh, I hired people to take me shopping, and I had people to read mail, and I went over to this person's house one time, and she was reading mail, and the husband came home, and they said, oh, we're going to restore your sight tonight. I'm going, oh, you are? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Handy, that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an interesting thought. And so they commenced for 45 minutes to pray and speak in tongues. 
and lay hands upon me. And all I could do was, Lord, I know you are fully capable of restoring my sight anytime you want to, but somehow I don't think it's going to be tonight <laughs> and help these poor people who are probably, who are going to have a very serious faith challenge uh, when they um, discover that my sight doesn't come back. You were more concerned about them. That is, that, that's, that's not me. Uh, that's cool. <laughs> well, it's... <laughs> Uh, I don't I, I don't know what uh, it must have been very hard because it must have been they they really truly believed that they could restore my sight yeah. and um, didn't happen and another time uh, the National Federation of the Blind had its convention in Dallas and there was a very well-known evangelist guy that had a apparently some kind of an annual meeting in the same hotel and um, actually it was California the hotel was bigger and so he had these he had all these followers like thousands of people running around and they all believe or lots of them believe in miracles and here's 2,000 blind people and uh, a number of my colleagues uh, said, yeah, these guys laid hands on our kid and tried to restore his sight and, uh, you know, and, and on and on. And it must have been a real problem for yeah. people like that. Yeah, it must have been. And I just, uh, I kept, you know, going to church and being involved. And um, so... So you were you were at peace with God, and and grew up with faith. Yes. Now you met your wife, um, and I, I met her as well when I met you. But you met her, and she's a woman of faith. Um, your church walk changed a little bit, in that you you went from the Methodist over to Church of Christ. Is that right? No, I was in 1988. The the Methodist, the United Methodist Church uh, began going in a direction I did not at that time agree with. Okay. And the um, minister that I was in the church I was in was a very kind man, but he was a very passive man. And I, it just was, yeah, I needed, I needed more. So I ended up joining a young adult group at uh, Sunset Presbyterian Church in Beaverton. And uh, Dr. Ron Kincaid was, uh, is an excellent speaker. And, you know, he actually got out and preached. And he could read the Bible in Greek and speak English. I didn't know he was reading the Bible in Greek <laughs> until one time I got up front to read the scriptures and had to put my Bible up on the lectern, and the, I read it and took it back, and somebody made a comment, and they said, well, Robert, you probably couldn't have read his Bible if you could have seen anyway, because it's all in Greek. Wow. I had no idea the guy could read, read from the Greek and speak English, and you couldn't tell that <laughs> he was translating. He had a little trouble with Romans. Apparently, Romans has some really complicated constructs in Greek. Yeah, uh, Paul liked to make up new words. He did. That's, there's no, and he didn't like periods. 
So he could, he could do a sentence that went over a hundred words long. Uh, so he, he can throw you. So, but it sounded like it was a good place for you. Yes, I got involved with the missions committee. Um, later on, I uh, joined the Little Methodist Church after marrying Lori. And we lived in Baltimore a while. And then Lori went to school in Louisiana. And I moved, we lived in Louisiana for a while. And I went to a Little Methodist Church there. And I was a, a chairman of the missions committee. And we had a lot of fun. I took a group of people to the Heifer International ranch in Perryville, Arkansas, which was a fascinating place. It, it, it sounds unusual, yes. It's very <laughs> unusual. Well, that's, that's, that's cool. I love the way you, you, you still live your life and you live it so well. And I know we're not going to have a whole lot of time here, but I do, I want you to tell the people uh, who watch, listen to, uh, to Our Safe Harbor and those that, that share, because a lot of people they share it with friends. Anything you want to say, because I don't, I don't want the interview to end and you think, well, I wanted to address. I can't really think of anything more, um, who knows. Um, <laughs> we can always interview you again. We'll have to get you in here from Montana. Yes, uh, <laughs> when you see a blind person some people think we're absolutely helpless. We're either helpless or we're brilliant. And blindness crosses all sociolo sociological spectrum. There's blind bums. There was a guy called Blind Bob the Bank Robber who robbed banks, used a cab for a getaway car. Uh, <laughs> he was last I knew doing time for his One would think. Uh, yes. uh, activity. And he wasn't a very good character, but, and then you have singers like, you know, Ray Charles, um, George Shearing, uh, Stevie Wonder, Stevie yeah. Wonder mm -hmm. uh, Watson. Oh, Doc Watson. Doc yeah. Watson. Uh, and you, you have guys like that. And so we come uh, all over the spectrum. So remember that when you meet a blind person. But they're a person. They're a person and just happen to not be able to see very well. There you are. Well, Robert, it is a pleasure having you in my life and you as a part of Our Safe Harbor. You check in every Sunday. You know, your, uh, Lori writes in and, and make sure we know you're there and you guys stay in touch. Uh, Robert and I have some interest in common about archaeology, history, linguistics through the ages. And so very frequently, I'll get an email from Robert saying, here's a, here's a link to something might be interesting to you, Smithsonian or the like. And I always appreciate those. So thank you for your friendship and thank you for being my brother in Christ. It's good to have you on the stage. No, thank you. All right. God bless. We will do this again. Thank you, brother. Okay. <laughs>